Uh, welcome to HBF. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 18. Uh, we're in the book of Exodus, continuing our study this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, grab one from the seat rack in front of you or grab one from the uh, 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 bag, if you've got a guest bag, and, and be turned to page 109. And uh, if you did not get a, uh, uh, if you want notes and you didn't get those in your bulletin handout, uh, just uh, raise your hand in the air. we got ushers coming by. They will pass out notes to anybody that would like those. And so some of you might need some of those. So they'll be coming around. Let's leave them up in the air. You can wave it like you don't care, whatever you need to do, and just make sure that, uh, that those get to you. So we're glad that you're with us this morning. Thank you for joining us online. If you're with us this morning online, we're glad that you have come and joined us. We hope to see you here in person as soon as possible. And uh, for those like Bobby Blaine and so on, uh, we are glad that you're able to join us as well. So our text this morning, uh, if you're turning there to Exodus chapter 18, it's an important story uh, in the account of Israel's wilderness journey. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a magnificent lesson for us and for any leader, frankly, uh, this morning. Maybe you're in business or uh, in some sort of uh, leadership capacity uh, in sports or whatever. This is a good lesson uh, to learn that we're going to hear this morning from God's Word. And so it's an, it's an important account uh, and a magnificent lesson uh, for, for leaders, especially, though, those that are leading the home and those that are in ministry. And so um, if, you, if you have your Bibles and you made your way to the text, we're just going to look at this text together and uh, read. Um, we're going to read Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 through 27. So if you haven't read your Bible today, you're going to get a whole chapter in. So let's, uh, let's take our time and, uh, and look at that together today. So the Bible says in Exodus 18 and verse 1, When Jethro the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of which the names of the one was Gershom and the other, <clears throat> for he said, I have been an alien, an alien in a strange land. And the name of the other was Eleazar, for the God of my father said he was mine help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with uh, his sons and his wife and Moses into the wilderness where he encamped at the mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law Jethro, am come unto thee and thy wife and her two sons with her. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he did obeisance and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all uh, the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians." And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they uh, dealt proudly, he, will, uh, he was above them. Verse 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, uh, took a, a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came 
and all the elders of Israel uh, to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Verse 12, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning into the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou itself alone, and all the people stand by thee uh, from morning until even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people are come to me to inquire of God. When they have uh, a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between me, or between one and another, and I, am, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou will surely wear away both thou and thy people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it, thy, uh, it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, and I will give uh, thee counsel, and God shall be, uh, uh, be with thee. <clears throat> be, uh, be for the people to Godward, uh, that thou mayest bring the cause unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them uh, the way wherein they must walk, in the work that they must do, verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all of out of all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, uh, hating covetousness, <clears throat> and place such over them uh, to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter that they shall bring unto thee they shall bring unto thee, I'm sorry, but every small matter they shall judge, so it shall, uh, so it be easier for thyself, and they shall uh, bear and the, uh, the burden uh, with thee. If, <clears throat> if thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. Verse 24, So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did as uh, he had said, and Moses uh, chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens, and they judged the people at all seasons. And uh, the hard causes they brought into Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way unto his own land. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, this passage, Lord. There's 27 verses here, and uh, from just an overview of reading it, it looks like uh, Moses' father-in-law came in and gave some good counsel and that uh, the nation of Israel will be better. But, Lord, that's actually not exactly the way you lay it all out in your word. And I thank you for the opportunity, even this morning, to, to take time in your word to really examine what you are doing in the life of Moses, what you're doing in the life of Israel, but, Lord, what you're doing in our life and how these things that you have written uh, thousands of years ago that have been preserved for us are, are so relevant for where we live today. And I pray, God, today, as uh, we look at the, this concept of a church on the move and how important it is that we have biblical structure, Lord, that we learn from this lesson today. And, Lord, I know it's a lot of reading, but I pray, God, you'd quicken our understanding, that you would help us understand and behold the wondrous things from your, your word today. I pray, God, for each and every heart that has come here today. I pray, God, that you would uh, just anoint your word and that it would apply itself to the heart of each and every soul that's here in a way that is practical and applicable. Lord, that as we leave here, we are encouraged, we're edified, we're changed because of the power of the Holy Ghost. 
We just thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So as we look at this passage, we see some things that are important. There are several things that we see in this passage this morning that we can't fully appreciate actually in chapter 18. We're going to have to look at chapter, or Numbers chapter 11, but you're going to wait till the last point to get there. So we only see the beginning of Jethro's advice in chapter 18. And we don't really see the outcome until Numbers chapter 11. But one thing is clear from the account of Moses and the children of Israel's life is that the church on the move must learn to manage responsibility biblically. So every, every, uh, everyone loves a winner. Uh, everyone has an opinion, uh, and we're all subject to make faithful decisions. Uh, and only God's word can really, really solve the problems that we have in life. And this morning, we'll see all four of those aspects uh, around this story. And the first thing I want to point out is that everyone, and you don't need me to tell you this, everyone loves a winner. And that's what we really see in the first 12 verses. Uh, winning uh, brings people together. It brings people together. Uh, we've ha- we haven't seen Jethro since Exodus 4.18. In Exodus 4.18, it records how Moses was getting ready to go in and into Egypt. But before he did, he had business to tend to at home and in Exodus 4.18, it says, And Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren, which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said unto Moses, Go in peace. So it's been quite a while since we've seen Jethro. His name's also Raul, um, a priest of Midian. Um, but we know that winners bring people together. And now that everything's on the other side of of the Red Sea, and they're free in the wilderness. Now, all of a sudden, Jethro shows up, which is a good thing. Uh, we just had a, we had a huge parade last week. It ended kind of bad, but uh, nearly half the metropolitan population showed up. A million people show up uh, to celebrate a sports team, right? Because winning, what's it do? It brings people together, right? It, it does. And so we know that the, the text, in the text, that Moses' wife, Zipporah, had not accompanied Moses on the journey out of Egypt, um, I suspect that it was in chapter 4 when she decided not to go with Moses. Uh, but Moses was called into Egypt, and uh, Jethro gave Moses his blessing. But God <clears throat> said, go, to, go, and Zipporah said, nope, I ain't going. Right? Somewhere along the way, uh, she was not going. So Moses left her with her father in Midian, uh, and, and we're not given all those details. As a matter of fact, the Bible is pretty silent on all that. Uh, but we are told about how Zipporah was very displeased with Moses because the angel of the Lord sought to kill uh, Moses because he had, circum- he had not circumcised Gershom, his firstborn, or he was going to kill Gershom, his firstborn. There's, there's debate on that. We covered that. You can go back and listen to my message on that. But God was getting ready to call out his firstborn, uh, Israel, and uh, he would need to make sure that Moses followed the picture, right? You need your firstborn son uh, I'm doing this because there's a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is my son, and I'm calling out. So do what I tell you to do and circumcise your firstborn. And it got so heated that finally Zipporah uh, had to take uh, and circumcise her own son, and she took the foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet and said, You're a bloody husband unto me, like a murderer, right? And opening up those wounds that he had when he was, he is a murderer, right? He murdered uh, an Egyptian and buried him in the sand. And so. Uh, so she's basically saying, you're, you're like a murderer to me. And, and so the relationship wasn't doing too, too good as he was called into the ministry there to go into Egypt. So for whatever reason, we don't know all the backstory. She stayed. Uh, maybe that got resolved. But she ended up staying uh, with her father. Uh, and, uh, and then she now joins him here in Exodus chapter 18. And so this is a practical 
there's a practical reason. The Bible is very clear that, that men are, are called along with their wives in First Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1. That's a practical thing that you can see just from this sort of situation. You see the tension there. Moses is trying to accomplish something big for God. His wife doesn't, she's not even down with the covenant promise, probably doesn't understand all of it because Moses hasn't done his job of teaching and or she, whatever, she's down with her, her, her uh, dad's uh, pagan uh, ministry. I don't know, but whatever the case was, they weren't, they weren't really going the same direction, at, at least in chapter 4 of Exodus. And so you want to make sure, if you're going to be in ministry, that the husband and wife are going the same direction. That's why the Bible is very clear in 1 Timothy 3, uh, Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 2, the character qualities of a man of God and his wife, right? So when we select deacons, we're not just selecting deacons, we're, select, we're installing the deacon and their wife. When we call a man into ministry as a pastor, a pastor, it's a man and his wife. And so they have to be going the same direction. That's why the, the analogy of being equally yoked works so well, because if you're under a yoke, you, you can't have an oxen and, a, and an ass, two different uh, creatures, pulling together. It's not going to work very effectively. Uh, they need to be the same mind, the same gait, and the same, go in the same direction. All right, so, so we see Jethro show up uh, after everything is said and done, right? Now all of that drama is behind him, and we love a winner. And that takes care of a lot of things, doesn't it? So everyone loves a winner. In Exodus 18.1, when Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and the, that the Lord had brought out of Egypt, and he was all about that. He shows up, and they're going to get things going. So winning also brings reconciliation. Isn't that great? So in verses 2 through 6, we see that. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard what God did for Moses and Israel. And he decided that it was a great time to bring his daughter and grandchildren back to join their father. Uh, so, so Zipporah is the only one, uh, is the only, I'm sorry, Zipporah is the only mention, is only mentioned, I should say, rather, three times in the scripture. In Exodus 2.21, Exodus 4.25, where she cuts off Gershom's foreskin and throws it at, at Moses' feet. And then here is the third and last mention of her name in the Bible as she is being reunited with Moses. So it appears that Zipporah, Gershom, and Eleazar continue with Moses through the wilderness journey uh, for the next 40 years. So Gershom and, and Eleazar's names tell the story of Moses' life, and it defines them. Isn't that something? Uh, when you lead someone to, lie, to the Lord, I bet, I bet when we get to heaven and you look back at the fruit that's been in your life, it will tell a story of your life, whether you know that or not. I know in my life, have you ever led someone to Christ at a key moment in your life? I remember one time I led, uh, well, the day I led Bill Johnson to Christ, I met him at 7-Eleven. It was the week, actually. I met him and witnessed at 7-Eleven, and when we did a follow-up call around Christmas, and they got saved, but... Man, that was a that was a down time in my life, and yet God brought a victory. You ever had God do stuff like that? I was just like, oh, just swallowed up with overmuch sorrow, and and then God's like, oh, I can still use you. Watch this, boom, you know. And uh, and so God's like that, you know. Your life uh, tells a story. So His sons, their names tell a story of His life. It's an interesting thing here, um, and it's right there in the text in verses three and four. Uh, I've been an alien in a strange land uh, <clears throat> for the God of my father said he was mine help and delivered me from the 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 word uh, of pharaoh so god's victory over pharaoh reconciled moses and his past in egypt i love that when you put his boys names together it really just takes everything that was messed up in his life and reconciles it all and gives god the glory for delivering him from his past and then it's embodied in the names of his sons that's pretty cool 
So God's victory over Pharaoh reconciled Moses with his, his past in Egypt, and, and the murderous flight of his youth was now buried in the Red Sea as the sin, uh, as our sin has been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb as far away as the east is from the west. Isn't that great? When you get saved, you're a son of God, the Bible says. You're a new creature in Christ. Your, your sins are as far away as the east is from the west. And so you do sincerely get a fresh start. This is, a, this is practical in nature because if you have been forgiven, then you can turn and you can forgive others also. Right? And so all the, rela- the relationships in your life, and this point right now is on reconciliation, can start to be reconciled if people are also willing uh, to allow the Spirit of God to work in their life to bring reconciliation. It's a beautiful thing. And so I'm glad that Moses and Zipporah uh, got together. We don't know a lot about it. You know also what's important? We don't need to. Why? Because that's their relationship. We don't have to know all those details. That's between them and the Lord. But I trust that they got their, their act together. I don't know. We'll find out when we get to heaven. I hope they're not fighting right now. So, uh, so point C. Another thing about winners. Winners enjoy reflecting on God's mighty works. And this is a neat thing, too, when you get down to verse 7. And I know we just kind of read over it quickly. Uh, but what you see here is, is this wonderful meeting between Moses and, and Jethro. They obviously had a, an affection for one another. And we see a glorious review of God's mighty works in this passage. Uh, have you ever noticed how much fun it is, uh, you know, to watch highlight reels of things when your team wins? You know, do you ever like like bring up the YouTube channel and look for the, all the highlights of when your team lost? No, no. Typically, like like you're watching things that that, that was that was successful, and you're like, oh, that's cool. If you were in sports or something like that, you go back and you rewatch those tapes of the things that you did. Well, it's not so fun to go back and look at when you did things poorly. And so uh, that's what's going on. Uh, Moses has won because God brought the victory. And he's excited to share and do a re- review. He's going to bring up YouTube channel and he's going to replay the tape of everything that happened uh, for Jethro. And so I bet uh, there are millions of Chiefs fans all across the world going over highlights of, of last Sunday night's game. I know there are. You know, you see it all over the place. Uh, me and my son, you know, we still highlight. There's things that he did in soccer, and we'll sit around and talk about. Oh yeah, remember when I did this, or remember when you did that? And I can still remember like up at Excelsior Springs. He had a really good game in Excelsior Springs his senior year. And so, you know, there's these things you you think about and you talk about things that you're successful in. Uh, you think about them and you rehearse them, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. We should be doing the same thing with God's victories. By the way, can you look back at your life and think, oh man, this is where God got the victory? Man, it was intense. What a battle it was. But, man, God got the victory. You know, you, what, is, what makes Patrick Mahomes so exciting is he's, he's down most of the time. Let's just be honest. We all like an underdog story. So this guy waits till the fourth quarter practically every game before he put, turns it on and comes back. And we're like, dun 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 You know, Rocky, it's like real life Rocky Balboa. I mean, come on. So, so who doesn't like a comeback story? Well, guys, that's our story. We were dead in trespass and sins. Man, that's why we share our testimony all the time because, man, what a, what a deal. You know, I, I can't quit talking about March 25th, 1987 because, man, I got a victory. And I've still got a victory. And, and I just want to keep on going till we get to heaven. And that's what's going on with Moses, man. He's excited about what God has done in his life. Are you excited about what God's done in your life? And if not, why not? I mean, you really ought to think about this thing. The biggest decision of eternity has been made, and it's gone in your favor. The game is over. You've won. 
And now your job is to just run around and reconcile everybody and, and, and pack them into the, in heaven, man. Bring them in the stadium so we can all celebrate together. That is what we do. That is what our life is about. That's really what it consists of. From the day you get saved till the day God takes you out of here, it's trying to round up everybody and get them on the victory team. It's pretty simple. It's amazing. Very, very painful for Jesus. Uh, but it, it was, it's very, very victorious for us. So tonight, we're going to celebrate some victories. I hope you come and, and, you, and you join us for the dinner for Randy and Julie and as we reflect and, and we remember some of the victories and look forward to what God's going to continue to do in their life and ministry. And so we see that Moses is, is very excited there in verse 7. It says, And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and, and kissed him. And, and they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all that the, the travail that had gone or had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord delivered them. And by the way, uh, that's what we'll be doing in the millennium too, man. Can you imagine? The big, the big shows yet to come when it comes to Gentile nations and powers and stuff. And So don't get too depressed with the news, because i got news for you. we got a fourth quarter victory coming pretty quick, so don't, don't sweat it. But it's clear that, that to see that Moses and Jethro enjoyed a warm relationship. Moses went on uh, out to meet his father-in-law, and he did obeisance, meaning that he, he honored his father-in-law. So, you know, you shake hands is what we do in the United States. Hey, how's it going? Uh, gave him a hug. Well, in this case, he also kissed him. That's a, that's a traditional thing that you would do. And when it, say, when it says obeisance, that's what it's talking about. He honored his father-in-law, uh, gave him a holy kiss, embraced him. Uh, and then the text mentions that... Uh, uh, they went into the tent and, and they enjoyed some time together. And uh, so it's not weird, by the way, that he kissed him. That happens, uh, and there's nothing untoward about that. Uh, that still happens in some of the Italian community, you know. So it's just a, it's just a cultural thing. But they asked one another of their welfare and how you know how are things going, what's going on with your life. They actually had a good relationship. And then they retired into that tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh. And so he had about 12 chapters of Exodus, right? He's like, okay, from Exodus chapter 5 to Exodus chapter 17. Here we go, all right? You think I preach long. I bet I, mean, I can't imagine everything, all the nuances that Moses got into. It had to be a great time. You know what? Point D, what, what happens is winning. It also brings, well, it brings rejoicing. It brings rejoicing. Uh, it, it brings rejoicing. We, we see rejoicing happening between Moses and Jethro in verses 9 through 12. They rejoice together through well, they did it through worship. That's what we do. We rejoice together through worship. That's why we get together every Sunday. We're celebrating the victory that Jesus Christ has brought. In Exodus or, yeah, 18 and verse 9, it says, And Jethro rejoiced. We know, that, we know that he had already heard, right? That's how he showed up. He's like, oh, I heard they got a victory. I got I to gotta go check this out, right? So he heads on over, and then he hears again that they got a victory. He hears the story over again. You know, he watches the, the highlight reel again with Moses, and then he's, it says he rejoices, right? So he's joyful again over what he has heard. Beloved, I'm just telling you, I can't stress this enough. It is so important to have the joy of the Lord. And Nehemiah tells us that that is our strength, right? The joy of the Lord's our strength. So once you've had some joy uh, and you don't have it anymore, you know what? Go back and get it again and rejoice, right? Go do that again and remember why God has saved you because it is good to rejoice. Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord uh, God had done. You know, we just sang, good, good father. I can remember early on in the start of the HBF, there were times um, 
well, not just the start. There's times at the start and times in the middle where I'm like, man, I think the wheels have come off the wagon. And uh, you know what? But you know one thing that God has always reminded me of is that he is good. His character is good. No matter what you're going through, no matter how bad it might feel or seem, you know what? His character is good, and you can rejoice because he is good, even if your circumstances stink to high heaven. Your circumstances can, can be terrible, but God is good, and in that you can rejoice. And you can also rejoice that you have the victory in Christ, whether you feel like it or not. And so um, so we see here that Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done in Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the, the Lord. You know, he blessed his name. Who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the, the hand of the Egyptians? Now I know that the Lord, the Lord is greater than all the gods. Verse 11. Now I, I thought that earlier on, when he blessed him in the name of the Lord and sent him off, I thought he was down with, with uh, the Lord. But now he says, I know. He's got assurance. I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, small g. And uh, there's a lot of, by the way, we, we kind of mock that sometimes, all those pagan gods, those little idols that they worship. But in our culture, there's a lot of gods, small g. And there's a lot of people that struggle to realize that the gods, small g, are, are, are not greater than our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, how are they going to see that our God is greater? They're going to see it through the victories in our life. That's how they're going to see it. And so uh, they worshiped together and they took a burnt offering and a sacrifice for God. And Aaron came, who's going to be their priest, but he doesn't have that lined out yet. And all the elders uh, of Israel to to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So they offer an offering and they and they worship the Lord together. We see the priest of Midian worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What a beautiful thing it is. And before we get too excited about Jethro's faith, it doesn't mean he stopped sacrificing to pagan gods. And it certainly didn't mean the Midianites embraced Moses and the children of Israel. Because for generations to come, after Jethro goes home, the Midianites are arch enemies of the children of Israel. So I can't speak for Jethro, but I know this. Whatever, if he had a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it didn't make any difference to the rest of the Midianites. And so uh, we're not given the details of Jethro's faith, but we know that the Midianites as a people uh, will go to war with Israel before they enter the promised land, and then will continue to war with them long after they enter the promised land uh, through the book of Judges. So they, But in this context, they rejoice together through their fellowship. And in verse 12, it says they broke bread together around that sacrifice, which obviously is, I believe, is a lamb. And, and <clears throat> brothers, the lamb of God is what brings us together every Sunday morning. Of course, we observe the Lord's Supper as often as we do. Uh, but even on any Sunday we come together, we open up this book, the bread of life, and we rejoice in what the lamb of God has done. And it, and it, and it just is incredible, as we really do enjoy. Anybody want to be on a winning team, man? We're on one. And praise God, we've won. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're more than conquerors, the Bible says. That's an incredible thing. So that's worth getting up on Sunday and coming to church for. Right there. And so the church on the move must, must, uh, the church on the move, uh, must have biblical structure because everyone loves a winner. And the next thing you're going to see is everyone has an opinion. So the church on the move, man, it, it, it needs biblical structure because everyone has an opinion. 
And so up to this point, everything is great. I mean, it's just sunshine and happy and, and everything's great. But this is where the story takes a turn for the worse. You know, every good story, it has a twist. And this, this story has a twist. And I bet if you just read over this, you haven't seen it yet. Because I've read over this and I can't see it until I get to Numbers chapter 11. So what, what a difference a day makes. But you start to see it. Once you've really looked things over and you really look at it a little bit closer, you can start to see the twist occur here in Exodus 18, 13 through 14. It says in verse 13, number of rebellion, by the way, and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. Nothing wrong with that. And the people stood by Moses from morning unto evening. Nothing wrong with that necessarily. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning to even? Even. He's like, hey, Moses, what are you doing to these people? <laughs> you know, you're kind of abusive. You're, you like give monologues to these people. No, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, hey, what are you doing? Jethro, <clears throat> he's starting to ask questions that, that Moses, you know, he's like, well, I'm just doing what I've been doing. I, I don't know. And I, I don't know. But what happens? So what subtly happens here from verse 18 uh, and verse 12 to verse 13 is, is Jethro g- goes from being a participant <clears throat> with uh with moses and to observing um guests and i and then he identifies a legitimate problem facing the children of israel so you know one point he's just hanging out with moses and he's and he's you know participating he's eating he's rejoicing he's you know remembering everything reviewing all those things and then the next day well he he didn't have anything to do he's got idle time because moses is busy and he's got all these people coming to him. And, and so he's just sitting back watching Moses. You know, look, look at all these people, man. They're just lying. This is all day long. Man, it's going to wear Moses out. It's going to wear these people out. This isn't, you know what he's saying? This isn't sustainable. Instead of stating his opinion, by the way, he, he begins the dialogue with Moses that evening with a question. And he says, what is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning to even? So he asks this question, but he already knows what he's going to say. And we have to take into account Jethro was both a pagan priest and a master herdsman in Midian, right? He understood how to delegate. And in fact, uh, he had delegated many of his resources to Moses and, and even trusted Moses to marry his daughter and raise children with her. There's obviously a mutual respect, and there's no doubt that Moses respected his opinion, especially when it comes to organizing a large flock, well over a million. Some estimate two million plus at this time. So that's a lot. That's all of the Kansas City metro area, basically. Can you imagine that? And people coming to you for their life issues all day long. That is a big problem. So notice he asked the question, what is this thing that thou doest to the people? Now, let me say something to you about this. When I read this, I was like, I get it. If Moses had a reservation, I would suspect this is where he would have lost it. When Jethro says, if, or what is this thing that, that you're doing to them? It's coming across as though uh, he's insinuating that he's mistreating the sheep. Like you're hurting the flock. And so, you know, if you want to get a shepherd's attention, just insinuate that they're mistreating the sheep. And, and you'll have their full attention. Because that's not the heart of the shepherd. That's not Moses' heart. So he's all ears. He's like, what? What? What am I doing to the people? Like, am I doing something wrong? 
immediately. He's like, what am I doing? What am I doing to the people? That's a good question. And so he wants to know, what am I doing? And so he, of course, that opens up the dialogue. In ministry, we, we call this pastoral empathy. Moses certainly has it, right? He, he has that, and he's asking that question first. You know, it got, it got Moses' attention. What am I doing wrong? And then he's all in. Point B, Jethro identified a legitimate problem and points out a legitimate concern, by the way. It's a legitimate problem, and it's a legitimate concern. So this isn't like Jethro's doing something evil. So I want to be clear about that. He is actually pointing out something that needs to be addressed, and God will address it in due time. So it's kind of like the right thing at the wrong time. It's not all on Jethro. Jethro is likely sincere. He could literally be concerned about Moses. I don't know his heart. Only God knows his heart. He could sincerely be concerned about Moses and Moses' leadership. I'm not saying that his, his counsel came from a bad heart. I don't know. God knows his heart. I don't. He was seeing an unsustainable situation. He said something about it. And so Moses, in verses 15 through 16, he just re- reiterates exactly what he's been doing. He says, well, you know, uh, because the people come unto me to inquire of God, well, when they, they have a matter, they, they come unto me, and I judge between one another, and I do make them to know the statutes of God and his laws. I do what I'm supposed to. I'm the lawgiver, man. I'm the mouth. I'm the person God's talking to. So I talk to them, and we just, this is how we roll, you know. This is what we're doing, and that's exactly what God would have Moses to be doing at this point, for he is the one that God's been using. But point C, Jethro's assessment is correct, but his counsel's wrong. And you don't see that just on its face. That's why I'm taking some time to really lay this out for you. Jethro identifies a legitimate problem as, as indeed Israel and Moses will wear down if they continue this day after day after day in perpetuity. However, just because Moses is teaching them today doesn't mean they will not take responsibility tomorrow. Because maturation requires patience on the, on the teacher's part and repetition on the learner's part. And in this, this dialogue and discussion, it doesn't appear that any of that is brought up. Like perhaps God has a purpose for it being done this way at this time i don't know none of that's even discussed so jethro crosses the line in my opinion in verse 19 this is what he does he says hearken unto my voice i will give thee counsel and when i see this in verse 19 that's all of a sudden when my flag starts waving hearken unto my voice i will give thee counsel well wait a minute the man moses has been getting counsel directly from the lord (laughs) for a long time now and it's been pretty successful in very difficult circumstances. And suddenly, right, we just saw the, the waters and, the, and we saw, I mean, we've seen God do miraculous things for Israel. And all of a sudden, because of this personal relationship, all of a sudden Moses is like, tell me what to do. What do I need to do? And Jethro crosses the line. And he says this, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward that thou mayest bring the causes to God. I mean, Moses, I'm with you. I want you to be successful. And so you need to make sure that you're focused on God and and then we're going to we're going to delegate this out so this works for everybody and it's it's going to be a smooth operating machine. So this is where Moses's alarm should have gone off. A command to hearken to his father-in-law's voice instead of inquiring to God for direction. He didn't say, "Hey Moses, let's pray about what God's next steps might be." 
Let's ask God how he would have us organize, how he would have you, by the way, not us, how he would have you organize this, this group of people. And by the way, the assessment was good. The consequences were sincere. Again, a legitimate concern. But the counsel needs to come from the Lord on how his people are guided, not from a pagan priest from Midian. If you look at this thing, you got a pagan priest from Midian basically guiding and directing God's man on how to organize the flock. Is that not backward and upside down? Even though it's legitimate and there are, is a real issue. So notice, notice that boldness that he has as he says, you know, I'm going to give you counsel and God will be with, it, with you. So he, he's pro- proclaiming this as though he's a prophet. And by the way, just so you don't miss this, God is already with Moses. And the children of Israel. You, you only have to go back to Exodus chapter 5 through 17. I mean, we don't have to go back very far. And we see clearly that God has his good hand upon them. And we know why he allows things to happen. Because he's toughening them up. Because they got to go to war. And I'm sure that, and I know that they will have to learn to delegate authority. All those things are coming. But this was the right thing at the wrong time. And it was also the wrong way. And they were doing fine before Jethro showed up, by the way. The problem is not Jethro pointing out potential problems. The problem is Jethro being presumptuous enough to solve it. In 1 Corinthians 13, 7, the scripture says, Charity beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, it endureth all things. And I think Moses likely loved Jethro. And the love simply blinded him from the fateful advice that Jethro was giving him. You say, where do you see that? Well, I'll show you here in just a moment. Everything Jethro says sounds so good, actually, when you look at it from verses 20 through 22. A lot of Bible commentaries will actually tell you this is so good. But it says, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws. Well, that's good. And thou shalt show them the way wherein they must walk. That sounds good. Uh, The work that they must do. That sounds good. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of the the people able men. Now, that sounds like Titus 2.2 or Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 2.2. Uh, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and, and place such uh, over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And Wow, that sounds like quite a plan. And let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge, so it shall be easier for thyself, and, and they shall bear the burden with thee. This sounds just so much like discipleship. It sounds so much like well, New Testament living. It, it, it sounds like something God would want for his people, doesn't it? It really does. And you might even say, Brian, well, many scholars teach that this is the model for ministry. Are you sure you know what you're talking about? I'm just saying, hang with me. Hang with me. Here's the first reason I know that this is not quite square. I know Jethro's counsel was not of the Lord because he issued a false prophecy. You might have missed it. Look down at verse 23. If thou shalt do this thing, and God commanded thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure. Notice this. And all this people shall also go go to their place in peace. So he tells Moses, if you do what I tell you, you're going to make it, and everybody here is going to go to their place, meaning the promised land, in peace. Is that what happened to the children of Israel? No, not at all. It's not a coincidence that the scripture tells us in Deuteronomy 18, the very same chapter number uh, of Exodus 18, that a man who issues a prophecy and doesn't come to pass is what's called a false prophet. 
Deuteronomy 18.20 says this, But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. So the consequences are high. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, here comes, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. Now, of course, we have the benefit of hindsight. Moses did not. Moses was certainly going to the promised land, so let's give Moses some grace. So from where Moses is sitting, it sounds pretty good, and I get it. But we know in retrospect, that is not what happened. So we know Jethro's counsel was not square. He says, if you do what I say, you, Moses, and the children of Israel, you're going to make it over to the other side. Well, no, not actually. You've got to do what the Lord says if you want to make it to the other side. And this is helpful for us today. With all the supposed prophets roaming around, milking people out of their money, and the retirement accounts, and all of that, man, you need to make sure that only the Word of God, the knowledge that comes from this book, is what we are operating by. God has preserved his word for us, so we operate by what the word of God says. There are tons of false prophets today, not just in all the, the, the variant cults of, of Islam and others, but I'm talking about, I mean, we got, we got cults across the street, the JWs, we got cults with Islam, we got cults with our, my Mormon friends, all of that stuff. But I'm talking within in circles that, that, that would say that we would call me evangelical. There's plenty of false prophets. So be careful. It's helpful for us today with all the supposed prophets roaming around that we get this. It's obvious and evident by the time we get to Numbers 13 that this generation actually is rebellious and will not enter the promised land. And that's exactly the opposite of what God had recorded in time and eternity by the time you get to Numbers 14, 29. The Bible says, Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward which uh, have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And so, other than Joshua and Caleb, everybody else is not going in the promised land, unless you're 20 years or younger. So a whole generation, that's why they waited 40 more years to enter the promised land, because in Exodus chapter 13, or Numbers 13, when they, the 12 spies went in, you guys know they were faithless and not believing, and God judged them harshly because of that. So Jethro's prophecy was off. They didn't make it in peace because of following his, his suggestions. Well, not suggestions. Those were his, really his commands. In like manner, Moses himself will not make it in the promised land either. And most of us know that, right? In Numbers chapter 20, we know the same rules apply to the leader that applied to the sheep. Right? Moses, he, God says, hey, speak to the rock. And we know in Numbers 20, 11, it says Moses lifted up his hand and with the rod he smote the rock twice and water came out abundantly. God still fed the flock. He watered the flock and the congregation drank and their, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believe me not to sacrifice or to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Like Moses, uh, I love you, but listen. My pictures are very important. My word eclipses everything, and you don't get an exemption. So you're not exempt from that. And so Moses didn't get, enter the promised land at that time either. The second reason I know Jethro's counsel was not of the Lord is found in my next two points. So we know that the church on the move needs biblical structure because everyone loves a winner, and everyone has an opinion. 
right? It's like, you know, everyone can tell you why the next quarterback is good or bad. You know, all the armchair, all the armchair quarterbacks come out. This is what you need to do, Andy Reid. Like, right, like we know what we need to do. Come on. Leaders make faithful decisions. You got you, We need biblical structure. We need the word of God because leaders make faithful decisions. Moses is making a faithful decision here. In verses 24 through 26, won't take me much longer. It says, so Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all he said. He did every bit of it. Verse 25, and Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. They had the hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every smaller matter they judged themselves. Problem solved. Yeah, moving on. Let's go to the promised land. And it appears that the council was sound and implementation was smooth. I mean, you don't see anything to the contrary in this chapter. You may be saying, well, Brian, I'm having a hard time here. It looks like all is well with this decision. Well, just keep hanging with me. I'm going to get you there. Because what happened here is Moses appealed to human logic instead of divine guidance. Moses makes this faithful decision and implements all of Jethro's counsel completely. And there's not one indication that he went to the Lord in prayer to confirm what Jethro said was God's instructions for his people. And so he abdicated his own responsibility. And that's not Jethro's fault. Whose fault was that? Moses' fault. If you want a leadership principle, you got it right there. You can't pin all this on Jethro. This is on Moses. Moses should have done the, done the, the praying. Moses should have sniffed this out. Moses should have been the one that went to the Lord and said, Hey, God, what do you think about this counsel I'm getting from Jethro? Because you know what? He was identifying a legitimate problem. He was identifying a real need. That was not foe. That was real. That was a real situation, and it did need to be addressed. You say, how do you know it needs to be addressed? Hang with me, and I'll get there. I'm not there yet. I'm not quite there yet. This underscores the importance of prayer and leadership. Today, humanistic philosophy reigns supreme. It's been uh, over 2,000 years, right, since the rise of Alexander the Great. And since then, Greek philosophy has, has been pervasive throughout Western culture. Obviously, infiltrated the Roman Empire and it's just merged together. Today, with technology, AI, and all the other things, it helps making it helps us make decisions very easily, doesn't it? I mean, we live in a very dangerous time, priesthood of believers, people who are called sons of God in First John chapter three. And there's a lot of decisions that we can be making today. I mean, today, before we leave the building or after we leave the building. I mean, all kinds of decisions that you just got to ask your iPhone, ask Siri. I'm just telling you that when it comes to important decisions in life, you don't need to get any outside evidence. You need to get God's word first. And it requires a relationship, a prayer relationship where God can guide you in his word. It requires fellowship with God, of which Moses was having. That's what's so maddening about this. Moses wasn't in some deep, dark sin. What he did is he just took the wrong authority. And he grabbed the wrong authority, and he, without even really probably realizing it, he replaced God's authority with human authority. And the next thing you know, he's in deep trouble. As a Christian, you, you, you will not, I will not make good decisions without necessary dependence upon the Lord. You see what technology and, and, and the system that we're living in, is all about doing is telling you that you can depend on us. 
whether it's your device, whether it is the government, whether it's this or it's that, you can depend on us. Before long, they'll drive your car up to you. Before you're long, you won't even need a car. Mark my words. You'll give up that liberty because all you got to do is rent one. It'll be at your door and it'll take you where you want to go. You'll be like, no, that can't happen. I don't know. 20 years ago in this pulpit? Well, I wasn't in this building. I was, well, I think I was in this building, so it wasn't 20 years ago. I don't know. I preached a message some years ago, probably about 20 years ago. I think I think it's at this Christian school still. I said this. I said, guys, I'm telling you, today I know it seems insane. Some of you filers are maybe around to hear this. Um, but I t- it seems insane, but someday... We've opened the door, right, to homosexual behavior. Now that's normal. This is 20 years ago. Someday it's going to be normal to be, pedof- to be pedophiles. And what's the other one? Bestiality. And at the time I said that, it sounded crazy. I'm just telling you, here we are. Anyway, when you replace God's authority with human authority, human logic, human wisdom... I'm telling you, that is what happens. It goes backwards. It goes pagan. It goes worshiping the creation instead of the creator. The next thing you know, man, it is a mess. You know what? That's okay for the world, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what they do. That's what we did when we were lost. That's, you know, you read, read over there in, in Ephesians chapter 2, and such were some of us, right? Uh, that's 1 Corinthians, actually, but, but uh, uh, we were quickened. That's chapter 2 of Ephesians. We all understand that's the former conversation. But listen, what I'm trying to say here is that as a Christian, you you cannot make good decisions without necessary dependence upon the Lord. This message comes right on time for me, even here at Heartland, as we have all these transitions going and a lot of things. The last thing I can do is just sit back and go, hmm, let me think about that. And just give some logical conclusion. It sure makes sense. Let's do it. That's that's logical. Now, some things are logical. Like, I do believe that like, when you know there's 5 million lost people, you know, uh, in the 1040 window, then you should go there. I don't think you need a big, like, air balloon coming by your house saying, go reach the world. It's already, we got that. We know it. Go where there's lost people. If you know there's a mess of fish there, go fishing. I mean, go do it. So I'm not saying you need all this, but there are some things in life when you're in crossroads and you've got important decisions as a leader and you're making faithful decisions that are going to affect the flock. And this is you as a husband. This is you as a wife. This is you as a parent. Man, you better stop your human logic for just a moment. Park the car and go to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, whoa, whoa, God, don't let me do this in the power of the flesh. God, I want your guidance. I want a necessary dependence upon you because I think I know the answer. Will you confirm that? Yes or no? We've got to depend upon the Lord. Moses needed a necessary dependence upon the Lord. This seemed like a, well, this is so logical. I mean, who could argue with Jethro? What could go wrong? You know what could go wrong? I'm fixing to tell you. Just hang with me. See, Jethro is, is a lesson to pastors and churches not to depend upon consultants. In Exodus 18:27, Moses, he let his father-in-law depart and went his way into his own land. You notice Jethro, you know what he has to, gets to do? He gets to give his opinion, see it implemented, 
And then, ding, he's out. He's back in Midian. He does not have to live with the results. Guess who does? Moses. Moses has to live with the results. I used to make a living in a consulting business. I did what was called value engineering for heating and cooling, HVAC systems, right? So we would consult, say, oh, you know what? If you do this and this, we can get the same effect, but, uh, you know, it's going to cost you less. That was our whole that was our whole sale point, right? We'll, we'll do the same thing or better for less money. I mean, who doesn't want that? I, there's value in consulting uh, and having wisdom and, and all of those things. I'm not against any of that. But I'll tell you this. When it comes to spiritual matters, I'm not talking about heating and cooling systems. I'm not talking about ductwork. I'm not talking about lighting. I'm not talking about building construction. I'm talking about the bigger issues of life and spiritual building. You better consult the, 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 the master, We've got to consult with God because God is the one in charge. And I'm saying this to myself as I preach it. I, I read this. I'm like, man, God, you are. If he's not talking to any of y'all today, I'm preaching to myself. Because this, it puts fear in me to think about this. It's so easy to pin on logic, isn't it? Just, but there's a, you got to, as a leader, you got to say, wait a minute, Lord, I'm going to be dependent on you. We're so independent today in this culture. We've got to be careful. I've seen great churches, even movements of God hindered because consultants come in. What in the what? Yes, consultants. Like, how do we, somebody from outside, come in and tell us how to run our church. What? I thought we had the blueprint for how to run the church. I thought we had the word of God and the spirit of God. Why in the world can we not guide the church? That is our express purpose as pastors, for goodness sake. Well, what the consultant says sounds so logical. I'm just saying. This is not a marketing thing. You know, I watched uh, Brady Shear or whatever, the, the guru on social media. The guy's fascinating. A lot of things he says, logical stuff. At the end of the day, who gives a rip? What's Jesus say? Social media is not saving the church. Jesus is the savior of the church. He's the savior of souls. The word of God has to be preached. He wouldn't argue that either, by, by the way. But my point is, we've got to be careful. Back when I first started the church, there was the thing of... Uh, Building bridges, that was the big thing. Building bridges, building bridges. All that was consulting talk. I got in the Bible, started studying out. I'm in a church plant. I don't have any resources to build a bridge, for goodness sake. And God speaks to me. He says, hey, son, that's okay. Just look in the Bible for bridge building, and you won't find any. But I will tell you this. If you walk up to the water and just just go, I'll open it up for you. I'm like, yes, that's what I need. I need faith. I need faith. To get it done. I gotta, I gotta trust God to get, oh God, thank you for that. I don't have to build a bridge. I just gotta trust God to open up the waters and walk by faith. Amazing. Not by sight. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Bing. The light comes on. Didn't even need a consultant. Jethro, he, he didn't lead Moses in intercession to God and Moses didn't stop to ask God, what what should I do here, God? What is the direction I should go? I learned, I learned early on at HBF when I started the church here, and I didn't start it. God did it. But, man, when you're a young 30-year-old, 32-year-old pastor, man, everybody comes out of the woodwork, and they wanna, they're going to coach you. And some of the advice is good, and some of it isn't worth a plug nickel. But I tell you what, the advice that is good is the stuff that, that God uses to help the body of Christ. 
But a lot of clever ideas is not what we needed. We need Jesus. Leaders, there is no consultation that replaces consultation with God in prayer. I mean, before you depend on everybody else, at least go to God first. And that's not saying that we shouldn't find wise counsel, that iron sharpens iron. I mean, we should, I'm not, so I'm not against seeking counsel advice. I talk to pastors, pastors talk to me. You know, I get all that. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But what, what I'm saying is this, as a leader, you make very important decisions. The bigger the decision, the more tuned in you better be with the, with the father. Fathers, fathers of households. I'm talking about you too. You got decisions to make. You better know what you're doing. Okay, I got to move on because I still haven't given you how I know all this. Because I don't know anything, but I know what the Bible says. Turn in your Bible to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. It's not my testimony. It's, it's what Moses tells us here. We see that the children of Israel, all this structure didn't work very well for them. And they are murmuring and they are complaining. Chapter 11 of Numbers and verse 1, they are complaining. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the, the uttermost parts of the camp. I mean, this thing is wild. I don't have time to read all of it. There's a mixed multitude there. I mean, it is, it's going south in a hurry. The house is on fire. It is bad news. I want you to look at verse 10, Numbers eleven ten, And Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And he's a shepherd, and it hurts his heart. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses also was displeased. God's mad. Moses is mad. Things are going crazy. It's not good. And Moses said in verse 11, The Lord, wherefore hast thou afflicted my servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Lord, why did I get this assignment? This is horrible. I have conceived all this. uh, Have I conceived all these this people? I mean, God, did I give birth to this millions of people? What is what in the world? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, carry them in thy bosom? As a nursing father beareth the sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? He's like, God, I can't take care of all these people. It's bleeding me dry. It's sucking me dry. I'm, I'm wearing down like my father-in-law Jethro said. Verse 13. When should I have flesh to give unto all this people? How am I going to feed them? For they, they weep unto me saying, give us flesh and that we may eat. And man, I'm, my, my bank account's dry. I don't have anything else to give them. Am I not able to, to hear all this, uh, the people alone? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me back up. Verse 14 is very important. Am I not able to bear, bear, bear this people alone because it is too heavy for me. What are you talking about? I thought you had all this structure in place, Moses. What do you mean it's too heavy? And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee. Out of hand, I have formed, uh, I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. He's like, God, just kill me. I've had it. Up to here. I'm done. Anybody ever feel like that? <laughs> Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, there's days you're just like, man, I just, I'm, I've had it. See, Jethro's wisdom did nothing to relieve the burden of leadership. 
while they wandered in the wilderness. That's what we see. It did nothing. Here we see the fruit of Jethro's wisdom and his counsel. It makes, it makes Moses, he's ready to Harry carry, man. He's ready to kill himself. He's getting depressed. He's, he's, he's just absolutely done. God's mad. He's mad. Everybody's mad. It is not what God intended. This is not an army that's going to get in the promised land. It is bad news. Moses is so fed up with Israel that he is worn out. And he's begging God to kill him. So much of Jethro's counsel and so much of his prophecy, it's gone. But I want to get to point B here. God's wisdom looks similar to Jethro's, but it's distinctly different. You see, what's happened here is Moses finally cries out to God and says, God, I can't do this. I need you. I'm dependent on you. I can't do this anymore. I am at my wit's end. God, help. God's like, oh. I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Let me tell you how I'm going to roll this thing. Verse 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Oh, gather unto me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them into the tabernacle of the congregation that they may stand there with me. Problem solved. Just that easy. Sounds a lot like Jethro's advice, but it's not. It's God's advice. It's addressing the same problem, but now it's God giving the solution. See, he says, listen, you need chosen, uh, you need to choose proven men, Moses, in in verse 16. It sounds similar, but it's not exactly the same as Jethro's counsel because he didn't know who to prove at that point. This was a baby group of people that needed to mature. Finding seven, they had elders, by the way, there was elders in Israel when Moses showed up, if you remember, way back in chapter 5. Just having elders was not enough. He needed proven men. Men that were faithful men. And now, after all of this, he knows who the faithful men are. And, and God doesn't say just give all of them. He says give me 70. I need 70 faithful men. 70 elders among 2 million, if it was 2 million people or a million or whatever the number was. Now, that's going to require some deliberation because, by God's grace, I hope they have more than 70. I hope they had 700. I don't know how many they had. So now he's in a situation where he's really got to be deliberating, saying, God, of this number of men, which of these men are going to be the 70? Because we know that God wants a certain amount of faithful, proven elders, proven men out of this group. He's wanting the cream of the crop. Not just a not just a, a, a spreadsheet formula. And by this time, the men have had some time to be tested. They've had time to be proved. When Jethro came up with his plan, they hadn't had that opportunity yet. By the way, Satan's plan is usually a counterfeit. Sounds close, but not exact. Moses will have a much better idea of who God can trust with responsibility at this point in the ministry. Point two. Install spiritual men, Moses. Verse 17, they need to come to the tabernacle. He says there, and, and, and I, will come, I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of, this, of the spirit which is upon thee, Moses, and I will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. You see, there's something unique here that was missing with Jethro's counsel, and that was the spirit of the living God. I'm going, to, I'm going to put my spirit upon them, Moses, 
He says, prepare the congregation as well in verses 18 through 23. And if you go back and read that, he, he wants, I don't have time for it because I'm out of time, but he tells them to get sanctified and get ready because the Lord's getting ready to do something. What is he doing? He's setting aside leaders. He's getting good men ready and he's preparing the congregation. And he's like, hey, listen, guys, it's time to get serious with God, not just the leaders, but everybody from top to bottom, because God is large and he's in charge. It's his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're listening to God because we're dependent upon God and we're trusting God to do what he tells us to do. And it's actually simpler than what Jethro was telling us to do. We just need 70 good men, 70 faithful men. And we need the congregation to to shut up for a minute and quit crying about their food and put God first. Now, that sounds harsh, I know, but that's I'm just paraphrasing. So that's what he's saying. He's like, guys, shut your mouth for just a minute. Shut the trap. Be quiet. I'm not saying this to Hartland. I'm just saying, that's what he's saying to this rebellious Corinthian church. And so he's like, hey, we're going to meet with God. And then privately, Moses is like, God, how am I going to do this? I really don't have the money, and we don't have enough money to do this. We don't have enough animals to do this. And God's like, Moses, come on, man. You've been walking with me all this time. Walk by faith. You can read it yourself for time's sake. But he says, and the Lord said in verse 23 to Moses, is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. He's like, who do you think I am? Jethro? <laughs> Just sit back and watch. Hide and watch. Mess around and find out, Moses. This is what's going to happen. I do what I say because I got the spirit of prophecy. And my testimony is the spirit of prophecy. But you don't know that yet because you haven't read Revelation. But his word is good. His word is true. He's the, the one that wrote the book. And he fulfills God's word. Verse four or point four, fulfill God's word and God's power by his spirit. Very simple. Verses 24 through 30. And I'm done. He says here, and Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and he spake to to him and, and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto 70 elders and it came to pass that when the spirit rested on them that the pro, that they prophesied and and did not cease i mean the word of god started flowing like water the teaching of what god was saying started coming out not just to moses but everybody verse 26 but there remained two of the men in the camp the name of one was eldad and the other was medad and and the spirit rested upon them and they were of them that were uh written but went not out of the tabernacle and they prophesied in the camp. And there, and there uh, ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. Verse 28. And Joshua, he's a good guy. The son of Nun, the servant of Moses and of his young men answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. And Joshua's getting into this thing and say, Wait a minute. Ho, ho, ho. He's the armor bearer for Moses, right? I mean, he's the man. You don't mess with Joshua. He's protected Moses. Listen to what Moses says here. In Joshua, uh, verse 29, And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would to God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses got him into the camp and the elders of Israel. And you can read the rest of the story from there. God provided so much that it was coming out their nose. I mean, he literally overflowed them. The point is this, though. 
faithful, uh, fulfill God's word in God's power by his spirit. Biblical multiplication requires biblical mindset. Because Moses ended up going to God, God brought the solution. In Numbers 11, 26-30, Eldad and Medad were no threat. And the man that knew that most was Moses. Moses was, was secure in his relationship with the Lord, with the congregation. And you know what? He desired that all men could communicate the word of God as he could. It's obvious from this exchange that it had not been happening under Jethro's counsel. None of this stuff that we just saw happen, none of this life, none of this provision, none of that was happening under Jethro's counsel. Why? Because it wasn't God's word. It wasn't God's counsel. It wasn't his authority. What was missing in the counsel wasn't the plan. It was the person of Jesus Christ. And beloved, if a church is going to get anything done for God, it doesn't matter if I'm in the pulpit. It doesn't matter who's on the staff. What matters is that Jesus Christ is in charge and the men that are in charge are absolutely seeking God in dependence. Not independent, but in dependence. That is what's important. That's what's important in your home. That's what's important in your marriage. That's what's important at your job. It doesn't matter. Any area of life, if you're going to be a leader, you can take this one to the bank because it is so easy for us to depend on something else other than God. But, man, when we put our faith in God and we do what God tells us to do, the way he tells us to do it, and we do what God says, my goodness, obedience is blessed, and he will fill your cup to overflowing. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you for uh, the patience of your people as they sit and uh, gather up the word of God here. Thank you for the church on the move that needs biblical structure. Lord, we thank you because uh, everyone loves a winner. Everyone has an opinion. And Lord, we make faithful decisions. So the Bible must be our guide. We must have your wisdom, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for giving us your, your whole counsel and your word. It is wisdom. And so, Father, today as we